0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. have you online this morning if you're joining in with us uh, turn to acts chapter 11 and we'll pick it up at verse 19 we've been walking through the book of uh, acts for several weeks we've got one more week and then we're going to take a break and we're actually going to go to a minor prophet uh in the book of hosea walk through that book and then we're going to come back uh to the book acts so i had a had a couple emails uh from some folks saying hey you're not going to stop going through the book acts no we're going to continue on we're just going to take a little break uh, at a major division point in the book of acts so while you're finding your place a uh, little, little story I want to share uh, for those of you who don't know my background or or how God called me in the ministry I, I had worked as an electrician for uh, 13 12 13 years in industry uh, when God began to stir my heart to uh, to go into ministry and the church that my wife and I and our family attended called me to be their associate pastor and uh, I left uh, secular work in 2005 and began that journey. And at the same time, I went back to school through Liberty University. And at that time, I was working on my undergrad, and most of my classes were online. And it was at that point along the journey that I got exposed to church planting. Now, I, I knew, I guess, subconsciously that that churches were being new churches were starting. Matter of fact, we have one in our area that started right around that same time. And uh, but I, I never really considered that as a ministry or even a calling. But the more that uh, I was exposed to it through my education, uh, the more God began to stir my heart. And, and I came, began to come to the conclusion that God was going to call me to plant a church. So I began to consume everything I could get my hands on, on church planting. I was, I've got a ton of books in my office over there that I read through. I even went to a conference uh, from a, It was a big mega church, um, and that was mostly the, the areas you would go to, to a conference is, is a church that started and then over three or four or five years went from, you know, maybe a 20 or 30 people to two or 3,000. And uh, so I went to this conference, and they had, like, uh, the, the, the main stage in this big, big, huge uh, worship facility, and I think there was, like, between eight and 10,000 people at this conference. And everybody that was there was there for the same reason, to learn about planting churches. So the 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 paradigm or the process of planting a church was based upon what that church itself had done. And not only did they have all the main speakers and a great worship team, but they had these breakout sessions. And, and the breakout sessions would focus on one aspect of the ministry. And and they had breakout sessions on some, some interesting topics that the one... That I remember, and I actually went back and looked at some of the documents that I had uh, from these conferences. Uh, one of them was the whole the whole breakout session was on publicity. So the idea was is that if you're going to plant a church, one of the main things you had to do is you had to have a good website, you had to be uh, you had to have a presence on social media, you had to be active on it. And this breakout session has its purpose to teach you how to use social media, and internet, and everything else to make sure your church was publicized properly. There was another breakout session, and get this, I thought this was a little odd. I didn't go to it, but it was called Stage Presence. Or the, the, the purpose of the breakout was is when you're doing uh, things on stage in front of a large group, how you're supposed to dress, the things you're supposed to say and not say, uh, how you're supposed to uh, view your congregation, and how you're supposed to interact with them from the stage. And There was a whole session just on that. Another one was uh, your guest services team. Uh, How to welcome people in the parking lot, and how to make sure they feel welcome, and you know how to have a coffee shop, and all kinds of things. Now, I I don't want to downplay any of those things. Um, There, there is some things that are important in each of those facets. But can I, can I just ask a question? Are, are these the most important things when we talk about the ministry of the local church? As a matter of fact, I I found it interesting some things that were missing from the stage, things that were discussed, and, and in these these small group gatherings. You know you know what wasn't discussed? There was not a single small group on prayer. Not a single one. There, there was not a single breakout session on how to communicate God's word effectively. There was not a single breakout group talking about the ministry of the local church and how the church and what the church is and how the church is supposed to function and what a healthy church looks like. None of that. It was all about superficial things, technology, worship, interactions with people. Again, those things have their place. But but I hope what you've been able to see over the many weeks we've been in Acts is that there's something that is far more important that is a far greater value for the local church to be focused on. And when we get to Acts 11, it's like there's a culmination of everything that's been happening in the Jerusalem church. Now that has broken loose and is now going to the Gentiles. We saw that with Peter. And and Luke is going to draw our attention in this short little text about Antioch and what's happening and what's getting ready to happen there, that God's hand was upon Antioch for a very specific reason. And then we're going to find that what the church is doing is what the church should be doing. And not only just the church as a whole, but as individual disciples, what we've been called to do. Look at verse 19. Now, I'm going to do something different as I read through this text today. What I want to do is I want to stop and I want to highlight some key phrases in this text. If you underline in your Bible or if you highlight or if you've got a, a notepad or if you're on your phone, you can just reach up there and highlight it. Uh, but, but at the very least, take note of the, of the repetition in these few verses, and it's there we're going to draw some principles. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And here's the first phrase, speaking the word, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, here it is, here's a second one, Preaching the Lord Jesus, preaching the Lord Jesus, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And that's the third phrase, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. Here's the fourth phrase, and he exhorted them all. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a man, here's the next phrase, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. and When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church, and here's the final one, and taught a great number of people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Father in heaven, we want to pause this morning and want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing us to gather not only here, but online. Father, you have, you have proven yourself over and over and over again to be faithful. Father, my desire this morning is that your hand would be upon us. For without that, we're not really going to accomplish much here this morning. But if your spirit alive in us takes the words that, that I'm about to share, that you've led me to share, and applies it to the hearts of the people. Amazing, miraculous things happen. So, Father, that is what we seek this morning. So, Father, may you add your power and your presence to the words that are about to be shared. We love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you four aspects or ingredients, however you want to talk about it, about the mission of the church. We often visit the mission of the church quite often. We talk about the Great Commission. We talk about the, the commandment to go make disciples of all nations. But I want you to see in this, in this Antioch movement that this is basically a culmination of everything the church has been doing up to this point, basically restated yet again. And some of those things I highlighted is, so to you certainly that. Look at verse 19. Let's go back and let's look that Luke takes us back to a key moment in church history. This moment was so profound That God used it to spread the gospel beyond the walls of Jerusalem. If you go back to Acts 6 and 7, if you remember when we walked through that text, there was a man named Stephen, man full of the Holy Spirit, a good man, a man that God was using. That man was chosen to serve in the body of Christ. And in that serving, there comes this opportunity for Stephen to stand up and to proclaim the word of God. And he takes the religious people of that day, those who were pushing back on. The Christian faith. He takes them back into their history and he shows them how that Jesus Christ is in fact the Messiah that had been promised. And you know what happens to Stephen. The crowd is infuriated by what he says and they throw him into a pit and they, they pick up stones. And they begin to pelt Stephen with stones and they take his life. And there's a guy standing there by the name of Saul who's holding the coats and the cloaks of those who are throwing the rocks at Stephen. And it's in that moment that the church at large in Jerusalem became overwhelmed with fear. And they decide that that if they don't get outside of Jerusalem, that they could be next. And, And Jesus Christ told the apostles. He told them that they are to be witnesses in Jerusalem first, to wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit falls, they are to be witnesses out in the streets of Jerusalem and then eventually into Judea, which is the surrounding area around Jerusalem, and then go all the way to Samaria and then to the uttermost. And we've seen that play out in the book of Acts. We've seen Philip after Stephen's stoning. We see Philip go down and share the gospel with a guy from Ethiopia. We we saw Peter last week be put in a situation where he had to go to Caesarea to an area that is primarily Gentile, go into the house of a Gentile. Gentile's a non-Jew. And and Jewish law said that they could not enter the home of a Gentile and yet yet be unclean. But Peter, being obedient to the Holy Spirit, goes into the house of Cornelius and the entire family and many of the people of that village put their faith in Jesus. The church in Jerusalem kind of came down on Peter pretty hard. We didn't go over that in Acts 11 in the earlier part, but they have a hard time with what Peter has done. They call him out on it. And Peter says to the church in Jerusalem, look, God is working among the Gentiles and they received the Holy Spirit just like we have. Why should we separate them? Why should we look down upon them? That that God is doing a work among them. He talks about what he saw in that vision. And now in Antioch. Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And it's it's way up here, way up north of Jerusalem. And it has a lot of Gentiles in that area. It's, it's a major crossroads for the Roman Empire. It would be the perfect place to plant a church because from that place, you could launch into Asia Minor and plant churches and share the gospel with people from all over the world because everyone was traveling through Antioch. And God is at work there. Notice what Luke tells us. He says that because of the persecution that caused people to spread, people tra- traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and even all the way up to Antioch. And what were they doing? They were speaking the word of God. They were were sharing the gospel. They they didn't go into Antioch or Phoenicia or Cyprus or Samaria or Judea. They they didn't go into those areas with a bag full of tricks. They, They didn't go in there with man's wisdom. They went in there with a message to share, one message, the same message, over and over and over again. Do you know that by this time, there are thousands of people who put their faith in Jesus, thousands? And the primary way that they heard the gospel was one person who'd been changed by the gospel telling another person the life they had found in Jesus. Notice what he says here. He says that they were from Cyprus and Phoenicia and they're heading to Antioch. It seems as though God is drawing people to Antioch for some reason. And these who left from Phoenicia, Cyprus, who were, who were Jewish people who had come to faith in Christ They go into Antioch and they begin to share the gospel with the Jews for obvious reasons. They felt more comfortable starting there, but God didn't stop there. Look at verse 20. But God sends another wave of missionaries to Antioch, and there were some of them, men of Cyprus at Cyrene. Cyprus was an island out in the Mediterranean Sea, probably about 60 to 70 miles from Antioch. And on Cyprus, the gospel is moving, and and God is leading people to leave Cyprus and go to the mainland and share the gospel in Antioch. What's even more amazing is that God was stirring people in a place called Cyrene. You know where Cyrene is? It's actually Northern Africa. It is 800 miles across the Mediterranean Sea from Antioch to Cyrene. So, So that God is working in some of the most remote areas and we have to ask the question, how did people in Northern Africa hear about Jesus to start with? Well, if you go back to Acts 2, when Peter comes out of the upper room and he begins to preach the gospel in the streets of Jerusalem, there are thousands of people lining that street. And if you go back to Acts 2, you'll find that the different people groups, different ethnicities are listed out. And guess what you'll find? You'll find that on that day, there were people hearing Peter preach from none other than Cyrene. Could it be that those people Maybe if they didn't respond on that day, they they went back to Cyrene. Maybe they responded to the gospel. Maybe they surrendered when they got back home. They began to tell other people about Jesus. They didn't have any church buildings. They didn't have any stages. They didn't have any smoke machines. They didn't have any lead guitars. They didn't have any welcome team. They had nothing but a changed heart and a changed life and the gospel, the good news, that's all they had. And the Holy Spirit living in them. And then the Holy Spirit begins to, to prompt some disciples, to leave their hometown, travel 800 miles to Antioch. And what did they do when they got there? It says here, that they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. That that is another way to say that the Holy Spirit was working. I have always thought and always strive for that, if I could live out my ministry and live out the rest of my life with the hand of the Lord upon me, goal accomplished. If, if I could have this church, if we could live in such obedience to the Holy Spirit, that we could say that the hand of the Holy Spirit is upon us, is working in this congregation, that is what we're aiming for. That, that Jesus comes up in our conversations because we're in obedience to the Holy Spirit that we're not waiting on the pastor to preach about it, we're not waiting for another episode of Billy Graham to re-air on TV, that I'm going to take responsibility because the hand of the Lord is upon me. He's changed my life, and I can't help but talk about the greatest love of my life, the one who brought me out of darkness the life. I can't help but bring it up. That's what it means to have the hand of the Lord upon you. Look what God did. God brought a great number of people to faith. This proclamation of the word and this this dependence upon the Holy Spirit results in fruit, tangible fruit, people's lives being changed. Eventually, the church in Antioch or the church in Jerusalem hears about what's happening in Antioch, just like they heard about what Peter was doing up in Caesarea, and the church says, you know, we really need to find out what's going on in Antioch because apparently something's happening, and they're thinking, okay, who are we going to send? Well, we could send Peter or James or John. I mean. They're the apostles. They were with Jesus. Or we could send somebody who who will really do a good job in connecting and helping the church at Antioch. Let's, Let's look among ourselves and who can we find here? Well, a name came up, Barnabas, the encourager. Barnabas was from Cyprus originally. And Barnabas knows what it's like to live in a Gentile context. So when when the church leadership in Jerusalem looks among themselves, who would be the best? They don't choose an apostle. They choose a second-generation disciple named Barnabas, the same guy who helped them accept Paul when they were scared to death to accept him after he had come to faith in Christ on the Damascus Road. So they send Barnabas from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, when, when he gets there, look at verse 23. When he came, he saw the grace of God. I love that phrase. Did you know that when you came to faith in Christ, God's grace poured out into your life? Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ. Maybe, maybe you're watching this morning via the, the internet and, and, and you've been listening for a while. Maybe you just tuned in, new, tuned in with us over the last few weeks. You've heard me talk about the gospel and you're, you're beginning to lean in about what does that mean? Well, no matter what you've done and no matter what sin you've committed and no matter what brokenness is in your life, God is willing and does love you right where you are. And he is willing to extend forgiveness to you even though you don't deserve it. That's grace. God's grace. And, and, and Barnabas, when he gets there, he sees the work of grace in Antioch, people whose lives have been changed. And what does he do in response? He exhorted them all. What did he do? He spoke truth. He spoke truth to them. He says here that he spoke truth to them. He exhorted them all. and What did he exhort them to do? To remain faithful, to persevere, to continue with steadfast purpose and sharing and telling other people about Jesus. Verse 24, for he was a good man. He wasn't a perfect man. Barnabas had his issues. We're going to find out about that as we go on. Barnabas was not a perfect man, but he was a good man. And this good man was full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, when you came to faith in Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Get this. God Himself lives in you. The Godhead Trinity, the creator of the universe, and the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And it says here that that Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that he had to get more of the Holy Spirit. He's already filled. It means that he was obedient to the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to have the hand. Of God upon you is to be in obedience and surrender. So Barnabas, Barnabas in Antioch, full of the Holy Spirit, and then God adds a great many more people to the movement. Luke has taken the time throughout the book of Acts to point our attention to the proclamation of God's Word and then the fruit that results, and that is the kingdom is expanding, is expanding. I have have longed for, for my entire Christian walk I have longed to see a move of God where people's lives are being changed, where people are putting their faith in Jesus and their lives are radically changed. And listen, folks, it's not because the gospel has lost its power. It's not because what Jesus accomplished on that cross and that empty tomb somehow is no longer relevant. The issue is, the issue is, is that for those who have been called and separated, I wonder if we haven't forgotten where we've been brought from. I wonder if at times we don't think the gospel has the power to change that person. You know who that person is, right? That one you've been praying for. That one that you've been focused on. We did that over a year ago. And you keep wondering, when are they going to surrender? When are they going to come to faith? And you may be coming to the place where you think, well, maybe the gospel, maybe it just doesn't have the power. You won't say it. You won't say that out loud because that wouldn't be very religious, would it? But the fact is, down deep inside, you're beginning to wonder if the grace that changed you is still available to those out there in the community who are lost. As we look at this, notice, notice what happens. So Barnabas, verse 25, went to Tarsus to look for Paul. Why did he he go to Tarsus to look for Saul or Paul? It's because Barnabas looks at what's going on and he's like, This, this, this thing is too big for me. I gotta have some help. It would have been easy for Barnabas to have taken ownership of Antioch. I mean, think about it. He could have had the first Antioch church. He could have been the pastor. Things are happening. God is moving. People are coming to faith. Barnabas could have easily stepped up and said, okay, I'm gonna take over and I'm gonna lead this charge. He didn't. He says, I gotta have some help. And you know the first person that God puts on his mind? Saul. He hasn't seen Saul in 10 years. Saul's been up in Tarsus. He's been over there sharing the gospel. He's been faithful. But why do you think God put it on the heart of Barnabas to go and get Saul and bring him here? Because Antioch is going to be the launching pad for the Apostle Paul for the church planning movement that God is about to do in Asia Minor all the way into Macedonia and even to Athens. Paul is going to continue to return to Antioch as his base of operations. You see, God's at work here. God's at work calling Gentiles to the gospel. God is at work in building a structure by which the ministry is gonna launch into Asia Minor and Paul is gonna lead the charge because he's been set apart as a missionary to the Gentiles. I wanna give you four of these key ingredients. I hope you've seen it in the text, but I wanna give them to you in a way that you can remember them and, and make sure you know that as a ministry, as a church body, this is what your leadership is striving for to be continually focused on these four things. The first one, the proclamation of truth. And when you hear that word proclamation, you may have a tendency to think, oh, wait a minute, that's the preacher. That's his role. Well, let me correct that a little bit. Um, everything that we've seen in the book of Acts, the spread of the gospel, has not because, been because of Peter, James, and John standing on a platform like I am and proclaiming the truth. It's part of it. But but the reason there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to faith in Christ is because there are people who've been born again who are out in the streets talking about the change and the hope and the love that they found. It was not from the platform. It was in the streets. Every disciple of Jesus Christ has the mandate to proclaim the truth that changed your life. It has it's not where you're called to preach or not. That has nothing to do with it. If you're born again, you are called to proclaim. And you have the tools necessary to do exactly that. The very day you were born again, you have the tools necessary on that day to talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit living in you, the, the very author of Scripture, the very one that inspired these men to write, lives in you. So we proclaim the truth. Our ministries children's ministry our student ministry we are going to focus on proclamation of the truth secondly prayerful dependence on the holy spirit the proclamation of truth and the prayerful dependence on holy spirit because here's the thing i can get up here every week and i can do the work of of interpreting and applying and building the sermon and the things i do every week but if the holy spirit is not involved in what we're doing out here every sunday then all you're hearing is another speech to go along with a myriad of speeches that you've heard. It has no life impact. The Holy Spirit has to bring the life change in your heart, whether it's bringing you from death to life, from lostness to salvation. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that unless the Holy Spirit is drawing you and working in you and bringing to light the truth that you're hearing, then you will not be saved. The reality is, is every disciple in this room, you heard the truth at some point. Somebody took the time to share with you the truth. It might have been a vacation Bible school teacher. It might have been a Sunday school teacher in children's ministry. It might have been a student ministry. It might have been your neighbor who walked across the yard one day and starts bringing Jesus up to you. It might have been while you were watching Billy Graham on TV. It might have been through a devotional book that you read in a waiting room at a hospital somewhere. I don't know, but I guarantee you this, that you heard the truth and then the Holy Spirit began to deal with your heart about the truth you just learned. Those two are absolutely critical to every person who crosses from death into life. And guess what? You have both as a disciple. The Holy Spirit living in you, and you've got the truth. Prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. We seek for the Holy Spirit to intervene. What are you, when you pray for that lost person, when you're praying for them, what are you praying? You're praying that the Holy Spirit will uncover their eyes to the truth. You're praying that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction upon their life and draw them to the cross. That's what you're asking for. And that is certainly in the will of God. Third, the people of God. So we have the proclamation of truth, prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit and the people of God. Did you know that the church body itself is an integral part of what God is trying to do in this world? Last week, we saw where Peter is called to go to Caesarea to tell Cornelius about the good news, even though Cornelius had a vision from an angel. And I asked the question, why didn't that angel go ahead and proclaim the gospel to all those people who were at Cornelius' house? Wouldn't that have been a great, miraculous event? But yet he does it. He says to Cornelius, Cornelius, Peter is over at Joppa. And I need you to send some people to get him and to bring him to your house. You see, we work and serve and minister for the purpose of seeing people come to faith in Christ. It takes a people, it takes someone who's embodied the Christ, embodied the gospel. You are the incarnation of Jesus himself. Did you know that? He lives in you. He calls you to go out and be the hands and feet of Christ, to let the grace that you've experience to be on display for the world to see? God's people who are living in confidence of the God who owns the universe, not shivering in fear because of all that's going on right now. A confidence that says, I believe in God, I've been adopted by Him, He's in control, I'm going to put a smile on my face. I'm going to live in joy. I'm going to live in peace. I'm not going to live in fear. Even even if the worst comes, even if I have to face death because of this or something else, make no mistake about it, I have a home in heaven. I'm going to be fine, folks. I'm good. I need to let that grace flow out of my life because there's a world out here that is scared to death right now that needs to see somebody living with peace and joy. on A whole other plane. So the people of God participating as a fellow worker with God. And then finally, perseverance. Proclamation, prayerful dependence, the people of God anticipating, participating in the work of God and then perseverance. We can't quit. Too many have quit. Too many are sitting on the sidelines who've been changed by the gospel and have got to a place where they're satisfied just hearing another good sermon, taking more in but never giving anything out perseverance. We need it because we live in a present darkness. I think that the COVID-19 has probably taught us all just how fragile life and society can be. I mean, think about it. Think how quickly everything changed. Overnight, things, everything, your, your routine, your job, even just going to the grocery store, everything changed overnight. It's because we live in a present darkness, a fallen world where there are diseases and viruses and Death. So we, as God's people, we persevere. You've seen it all through the book of Acts. No matter if martyrdom, no matter if persecution, what do we see? We see consistently people saying, Doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter, doesn't matter what I'm faced with, I'm going I'm to continue to walk with Jesus no matter what. Did you know if we get to a place where we have the word without the spirit, you know what we have? If we have, if we have just the word proclaimed without the spirit, you know what we have? Well, we have intellectualism. You get a whole lot more knowledge, but you just become a smarter sinner. You get a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but if the Spirit's not involved, there's no change in our heart. Well, what if what if we have the Spirit without the Word? We have an emotional high. We have we have emotionalism where it's out of control, but there's no truth that bounds us and anchors us. It turns into anything you want it to be, but it certainly doesn't turn into what God has called it to be. Well, what if we have what if we have uh, no people that's willing to serve? We have inaction. Well, if all we do is gather and we don't do anything outside these buildings, then we have a country club, do we not? We don't have a church. If all we ever do is talk about Jesus here, but Jesus never comes up out there, we, we, we have a country club. We have a, we have a membership here, right? Well, what if we have no perseverance? Well, then apathy creeps in and we simply just don't love the lost. And the longer we continue in apathy, the less we remember about where God brought us out from. Do you remember that place that God brought you from? It may have been years ago, but do do you remember all that God did when he set you free? Gave you life? It was because Somebody proclaimed the truth and it was because somebody was praying for the Holy Spirit to, to get involved in your life, to pull the scales off yours. It, it was because somebody didn't give up and it was because somebody, somebody took it seriously enough to bring the gospel up to you. All four of those ingredients were part of your journey. All four of those ingredients is why you're sitting here today as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. It was because of those four ingredients. And no matter where you look in scripture, you find it over and over and over again. So as a church body, guess what we need to be about? Those things. Final verse there, Christians were first, they were first called Christians, Antioch. That term Christian, that word Christian was only used three times in the entire New Testament. Isn't that odd? I mean, the Christian church, what we know today to be Christianity, that word was only used three times in the entire New Testament, And all three times. It was used as a derogatory comment towards those who were following Jesus. It didn't become part of the church until the second generation. That's when the church accepted the mockery of what it meant to be a Christ follower. The radically changed life as a result of the grace of God is directly connected to the proclamation of truth of God's people who've been set aside, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and not giving up. That, friends, is what the church is called to be and do. Father in heaven, um, your grace is sufficient. Your love is everlasting. And I am the recipient of that grace. May my life be lived in such a way that grace is evident in my life, day in and day out. Father, during this time, uh, I ask the Holy Spirit would move upon the hearts of your people for the lost to become saved, for the one who's given up to persevere, for the one who's compromised truth to once again proclaim the truth of the gospel, for those who've depended upon themselves more than the Holy Spirit, that they would surrender control and trust you completely. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.